The Sports Complex with Patrick Davis on the Horn. Back to the sports complex on a Monday afternoon. It was a big sports week in conference championship games happening in the NFL. We now know what our Super Bowl will be. Lots of college basketball action. Not great for the Longhorns, but not great for a lot of teams. It is a uh, intense season right now with a lot of upsets happening around the world of college basketball. NBA happening as well. Trade deadline looming next week. Lots to talk about today, and of course, we want to talk about it with you on the text line, 512-447-3776, 512-447-3776 is the text line number. You guys drive the show. I just try to keep it on the rails. That means we try to get to everybody's text messages during the show, uh, talk to you, whether you have good news or bad news, hot takes, you got to you got to take on one of the games this weekend or you got to take on the big Texas game tonight uh any of that you want to throw in there a trade you want to see happen in the NBA or a hiring you want to hear or you want to see for the commanders or the Seahawks all that stuff throw it on in in the text line 512-447-3776 uh it was uh, it was a nice weekend to uh you know do some cleaning get ready and then Saturday you know you didn't have to do as much I watched the Royal Rumble it was it was fun you know, watch that on a Saturday night, and then Sunday, you know, you get up, and then you, you, you enjoy yourself, and then go watch football all day, and then, you know, the teams you thought were going to win kind of we, we did okay, and then the underdogs actually, the underdog won and won, and it was, uh, I don't know, it was uh, the Super Bowl everybody wanted, but it's Super Bowl they wanted in Kansas City, and the Super Bowl they wanted uh in San Francisco, but I, I, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes it's hard to break that barrier, and we've been, we'll get more into that in the five o'clock. How about that? How about in the five o'clock we get more into the NFL and we'll break down those games and go into why the Lions bit themselves and and why Baltimore couldn't get it done, and they both had real shots, and at least there were two games where there was real shots for both for both teams in them. Uh, you like to see that. Well, we did not see a team that played well at all. Uh, on Saturday, and I shouldn't say it all. There was some points where they were fine and, you know, didn't get outplayed, but overall uh, doing the things you cannot do, especially in a road game uh, for Texas. Texas loses to BYU, number 21 BYU. Uh, I believe they dropped to 22 in the poll after dropping two games before Texas. They, Texas goes in, uh, loses to BYU, uh, 72 to 84. BYU wins that game. Uh, and really, 
at the end of the day, there's there's two sides of this. One is the realistic side that winning road games in the Big 12, especially against teams that are in the upper tier of the Big 12, the ranked teams in the national in you know in the national polls and the AP poll, those are just going to be hard games all season. No one's going to be perfect on in the Big 12. No one's going to be able to walk through and just beat everybody. We've seen it with the top teams like Kansas, who lost this weekend, and Houston, who's lost a few this weekend. Houston, who's playing Texas tonight. They have a huge road test tonight against, uh, against Texas. That This is a conference that is just very hard to win a lot of road games in. A lot of really good basketball environments. Uh, this is the first time Texas had got in to BYU and seen what there was was happening there, and the crowd was electric for it. Uh, they were ready to go for it, and BYU came out with the game plan that Texas didn't really have an answer for, and it, it just felt that Texas was not able to switch players the way they needed to, and the game plan was do not let them get hot from three. If they score layups, let them score layups, but don't let them get hot from three because once they get hot from three, it's over. And that was the game plan. However, that game plan seemed like it wasn't going to work as BYU just kept going to the paint, kept going to the paint. They ended up with 40 points in the paint. Oh, Basically, half of their scores were in the paint. Uh, that's a huge number of points to allow in the paint. And, you know, Texas, this is a problem for them all season long that their rim protectors are more weak side and coming over and their help defender uh, rim protectors in Dylan Mitchell and Dylan DeSue can do it somewhat. Caden Shedrick hasn't had that pop since his injuries have uh, kind of reignited this season. Uh, Brock Cunningham is not a guy who's going to get up and block a lot of shots. Uh, Zerik Onyema looked a little bit lost out there as well, just not able to handle coming off and helping. And, and they were able to go at Texas, and it was – more of a reputation of three-point shooting. Uh, it, it definitely picked up in the second half. Uh, they shot 44% from the behind the arc in the second half, and that was more where you were worried you didn't want them to get started out there. It didn't matter, though, because uh, they waited too long to start playing off that three-point line and start trying to come in a little bit. They made some adjustments at points, but at that point, their offense wasn't potent enough. Uh, and We talked about it on Friday. You can't let BYU get into the 80s because you're not going to get in the 80s. This offense for Texas... Uh, they don't. They're not a fast enough offense. They're not a team that's going to be putting up eighty every night, unless you're playing a bad team where you're constantly getting rebounds and coming off them. You know they're hard. They don't in the half court. They go pretty slow. They don't score a ton of points. We saw Max, Max Aismith not have a great game as they were kind of coming off on him and really trying to push him away. He goes four for twelve. That's a problem that Texas is going to have to keep solving. Is you know their shooters. Max Aismith and Tyrese Hunter, their accountability on the road to stay at a productive clip. Dylan DeSue still did his job. Uh, he only plays 27 minutes because he gets in foul trouble, because he's trying to play help. By the way, I didn't think this was a well-officiated game. Uh, this was a game that it's very rough when bigs are allowed to hit bigs, but bigs are not allowed to touch guards. And when you just play it by position, and so the foul isn't the foul, it's a position is the foul, it's, it's infuriating to watch. There was... Too many plays that BYU ran at the bucket, didn't get touched, and got fouled, and, and they called a foul. I would barely a and it just those kind of calls were were bad early on to just compile on Texas' own mistakes. Uh, and and this isn't the, the right fault that Texas lost. It was just infuriating to watch as well. Uh, Dylan Dessou does a good enough job offensively. Goes eight for sixteen, gets nineteen points. 
Uh, and if you look at the plus minus, he's probably one of your better players in the plus minus. When he was on the court, the team just did better. They had better flow offensively, uh, which was a big problem. When Dylan DeSue sat down because he gets in foul trouble, that offense just what, had a really hard time trying to find anything. Uh, spacing became a little bit harder because, you know, you put in a Brock Cunningham with Dylan Mitchell and they're threatening Brock Cunningham. He shoots six threes in that game, goes one for six because they're leaving him wide open and he has to take them. Because if you don't take the threes, then they're never going to respect you out there, and you can't play if you can't stretch a court. You can't play with Dylan Mitchell, at least. And Caden Shedrick is in the same spot. He only plays 10 minutes, goes one for two in the game, doesn't have the impact that he needs to have in that game. Uh, we see Kendall Weaver. He's coming in and still doing some work. He doesn't necessarily have the impact on the game that he had the other night, and I think maybe he was trying to do a little too much in this game. I love the energy he brought. Uh, I think he did a lot of positive things. However... This was not, overall, his impact on the game wasn't necessarily a, a net positive because he was running around a lot and not necessarily defensively being able to be the impact player. But that's partially, too, because of what BYU did, which is they knew what Texas' weakness was, and they attacked it. And you're going to have to expect that all season until you can find a way to stop it, until you can find a way to play off. And now not everybody can sit out and stretch five big, and you know, and have their their big sitting out the three point line. Not everybody can play a stretch five. Not everybody has that in 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 college basketball. So that won't be the case at week in and week out. BYU does have that. BYU wants to get shooters out there. And so even though not everybody was hitting threes, every one of their you know their centers and guards all shot threes throughout the game. We saw Noah Waterman was uh, three for six in the game. Ali Khalifa wasn't hitting any, but he went over three. He was still shooting. And so when your bigs are able to shoot threes and Texas is trying to stay out on them, it becomes a problem. And, and, and you know, it's something you're going to have to face and fix. Uh, it's a learning experience and, and playing on the road. You have to be able to get through that point when things aren't going your way, the calls are going against you, the, the fans are against you, and you need to pick up the intensity on the defensive end because, again, this is a defensive – loss you allowed 84 points you still put up 72 you should be in the game at 72 you shouldn't be getting blown out at 72 points and that's a defensive lapse you can't allow 84 points in the big 12 you just can't and so defensively they're gonna have to figure out how to block that paint off a little bit more and try and help off when everybody's being told well everybody go out on your man and they just spread five wide and drive right at the basket you know you you can try and stay in front of your guy enough but they were going fouls on that as well uh, you know, you know they were attacking Max Aismas on both ends on that as well. It, it, it was uh, it was just basically everything that could go wrong, game plan wise for Texas did, and they did not pan out. Now the good news for Texas is that they have another game tonight. That's the good news for Texas is after you shot twenty three percent from the three point in the second half and thirty five percent from the field in the second half and let the game get away because you couldn't play offense because your defense was so bad that you kept getting stuck in half-court offenses, and when Dylan DeSue was on the bench, the offense wasn't there. You have another game tonight to rebound, and this lineup you match up much better with than that BYU lineup that had some bigs that could shoot threes, which really kind of messes up what you like to do because they were able to defend you well enough in the paint they were able to body you around a little bit in the paint on defense and stretch you out on offense, pulling away your shot protectors, your rim protectors. Uh, you get to go up against a Houston team tonight 
that uh, is going to be a big matchup for Texas to see if they can bounce back. And again, this is a road game in the in the Big 12. And road games in the Big 12, it is tough for Houston to come in to hopefully, hopefully you guys have a packed, angry, crazy, supportive, loud Moody Center tonight. They're doing the stripe out, which if you're going to the game tonight and have not heard that, that there is a stripe out going on and it's white and burnt orange. And you can look on the map on the website uh, to find out what you're supposed to be wearing. I know it may be a little late in the game. <laughs> it's white and it's supposed to be white and, and orange and burnt orange, of course. Uh, but that's what you're going to be looking for. Houston, uh, we can say they they lost to uh, they beat Kansas State over the weekend. Uh, Jamal Sheed ends up with 17 points in that game. Uh, but this again, LJ Cryer, Emmanuel Sharp, two guys that are supposed to be big for this this Houston team, go six for 26. So they did not get their shooting done. This is at Houston. They're going to be over on the road. Can you continue to make LJ Cryer, who used to play for Baylor, who has done well in this building before for Baylor, can you slow them down and keep their production down, play good defense on them, keep Sheed to not being over the top, 17 points is not going to kill you. Uh, they do force a lot of turnovers. K-State averages like 16, 17 turnovers. They get 18 in that game. Uh, and But K-State shot 40% against Houston. And so even though they lost, the real reason they lost was the free throw line discrepancy. It wasn't the defense necessarily on the court for Houston. Uh, So this is a game that Texas can still come out in and should put up a decent shot percentage in because that's not been a problem for them so much this season. K-State shot 40% from the field in that game, but the problem was K-State shot 12 free throws and and, and Houston shot 34. You can't allow that discrepancy. So you're going to have to be good with not picking up stupid fouls, not getting in the penalty too early. Houston is going to try and go inside and bully you around. They're going to try and push you around. Hopefully you get a little home field love and that home court love from the referees, and it'll be a little bit more even. Uh, You're going to look at, but this matchup, one of the things you want to look at, uh, a couple pieces to look at for tonight's game, get you on board. Uh, Houston has not been necessarily great on the road this season. They've lost to Iowa State. They lost to TCU on the road. And Iowa State just jumped up bigs in the polls, too, after their upset of Kansas this weekend. Uh, but you're looking at that as, okay, this is a Houston team that we know doesn't necessarily play their defense, and especially offense, as well on the road. And this is also great that they don't match up well with Texas in the size department. It's Texas will be outsized in a lot of matchups, especially in the Big 12, but across the board. They just don't necessarily have the size, especially when you're playing IT Horton in that lineup. And, you know, you're, you're starting basically two six-foot guards and Tyrese Hunter and Max Asmus, and then IT Horton comes in, what, 6'4", something like that. Uh, so you don't have a ton of size. The good news is uh, LJ Cryer and Emmanuel Sharp and Jamal Sheed are all about six foot two. They're all about six foot, so you're not getting too much height where you can play smaller, which benefits Texas that size. Even their bigs for for uh, for Houston, they're not three point shooters. They're not huge athletically. Uh, they're very athletic. They're really good defenders. They're great rebounders, but they're not necessarily uh, scorers at a high level. Uh, and their big guys are all six eight, six seven. So when you look at it that way, there's matchups for this for Texas that if they can come out with the right intensity and the right frame of mind and not be worried about you know losing to BYU on Saturday not worried about that just come back out reset yourself play this game as its own entity and go against the Houston team where they've done well against big big ranked teams they've got good matchups 
Texas should be able to handle, and I feel better about this matchup than I do against number 21 BYU going into the weekend when it felt like it was too much confidence going into that game in the weekend. Oh, all we got to do, we'll be able to win, discounting what BYU could do. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to discount what Houston can do, but what Houston can do is play defense. Texas consistently hit a reasonable uh, field goal percentage for games. I know they shot poorly in the second half against BYU. Uh, there's been a few games where they've slowed down. Not as much at home because Tyrese Hunter usually plays much better at home as well. Uh, if those guys can play well, if, Hyrie, if Hunter and, and Max Acemas can shoot well enough, then this opens up the game wide for uh, Texas to be able to get a big upset win uh, over Houston tonight at the Moody Center. A couple other college basketball scores to look at. Kansas did lose to Iowa State. Again, road games in the Big 12 are tough. Uh, Hunter Dickinson has 20 points and 15 rebounds, but it was just not enough. Iowa State shot 46% from the three-point range. It just it was too much for Kansas. Uh, they get a 79-75 win. Also, Texas Tech goes on the road to Oklahoma and gets an upset, just like Texas did. 85-84, uh, to 84, Texas Tech fighting out just close game after close game in the Big 12 and keeping it rolling right along. They have a lot of help from their bench, and Chance McMillan has 27 points and eight rebounds. They're just getting help from different places, and that Texas Tech team is fighters. Uh, they do not like believing that they are uh, – they believe they're underdogs in the Big 12, or at least they believe they shouldn't be underdogs. They believe they're underappreciated or unrespected in the Big 12, and they're showing it in a big way that they should be at the conversation to sit at the big table in the Big 12. Uh, let's talk a little NBA before we hit uh, the text line. Uh, recap a little bit what happened over the weekend. Uh, the Trailblazers – did uh the tra- I'm sorry the Spurs played two games over the weekend they beat the Trailblazers 116 to 110 and the then beat the Timberwolves 112 to 113 it is a back to back which Texas uh, the Spurs are not traditionally great at uh, especially because Wimby had been on a minutes restriction where he was not allowed to play back-to-backs. That is now apparently over. He played in both games, did well in both games, and a huge win for a Timberwolves team that was that was up for a lot of the game. The Spurs fought back in the third quarter and uh, were able to pull out a win over the Timberwolves. They go on to play the Wizards tonight, could put together a win streak for San Antonio, would be a big game there. The Mavericks... Uh, had to win uh, one and one over the weekend. They, of course, have that 148-143 just offensive fest against the Hawks on Friday. Luka Doncic puts up 73 points in that game. Uh, the Kings then beat them 120-115 the next night. Uh, Doncic goes 9 for 26 and 28 points. It, you know, he's shooting about the same amount of shots every game. It's if they're going in or they're not, and he's just not been shooting a huge uh, high percentage in those losses. Uh, they're going to be in action tonight, too. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, also, the uh, Rockets play both times over the weekend. They split that series. Uh, they go Rockets, go 138-104 to 104 over the Hornets. Uh, Jalen Green has a really good game against the Hornets for 36 points in that game. Uh, the Nets then beat the Rockets 106-104. to 104. Uh, Just too much from the Nets, and the Rockets kind of, you know, little squandering it down the end. Uh, tonight we get Wizards at the Spurs. Lakers are going to be at the Rockets. This feels like a good time for a turnaround game for the Rockets, who are three and seven in their last ten, have not been playing great basketball. Uh, the Lakers have also not been playing. They just had that big double overtime game uh, on Saturday night against Golden State. Uh, this matchup actually does fit pretty well for the Rockets. It's a type. It's an opponent that you can get up for, but they're not, you know, the at their top of their game right now. The Lakers. It feels like a good get right game for the Rockets to maybe set them up 
going in uh, to this stretch right before the All-Star break. And the Magic are at the Mavericks tonight as well. Kyrie Irving is out for this game again. He's expected to come back at the end of the month, early next month, uh, from that sprained thumb that uh, was making him less effective on the court. Uh, We'll see. Luka Doncic seems to play better when he has a day off before. Uh, So we'll see if he's able to come out and score the points against the Magic tonight. I, you know... It really all just depends. When we look at what the Mavs are now, is how you know does Luka Doncic hit 15 shots or does he hit eight shots? Because if he hits 15, they're probably going to win. If he hits eight, they're probably going to lose. Like it's it's such a thin margin for him of what he can do and and his shot percentage because he's going to take the shots. So it's how many he makes, not how many he takes, because he's going to take them. But uh, a good shot for the Mavericks to get another win against a Magic team that is good but inconsistent and not great on the road. All right, we want to get to the text line, so why don't we hit up uh, the big fat poll of the day so we can get to the text line. Patrick's big fat poll of the day on the horn. 512-447-3776. I have not looked at it yet, but I'm assuming somebody has said something about Rodney Terry, so we'll get into that. I'm sure somebody has said something, but we'll talk about it. Uh, But this is not about Rodney Terry. This is because... Over the weekend, a huge sports story. The Spurs Coyote caught his third bat on the court in San Antonio. It's a crazy thing that keeps happening, that there's bats at uh, at now it's, it's Frost Bank Center. Is it the Frost Bank Center now, I think? Uh, but there's bats that are in there. They will come down every once in a while, and once they get on the court, they basically stay down on the court area, uh, and you have to catch them. Manu once caught one. Uh, and then said never again because of all the shots he had to get after the game. Uh, he was not a fan of that. So they send out the Coyote in his Batman suit with a net flying around the court, which it has to make visiting teams look over and like, that's their solution for this. And like, we know he clearly is, he's ready because they had the Batman suit like ready to go. And so he comes out, catches a bat, third bat caught, Spires Coyote, by far the best mascot. I'm going to open up for you, though. If you guys have one that you think's better than the Coyote, you're wrong. But I'll ask you, who's the best mascot in sports? Let me know on the text line, 512-447-3776. And, of course, if you want to talk Texas basketball, Big 12 basketball, NBA basketball, we're going to talk a lot of NFL coming up in the 5 o'clock hour as well. We'll play some sound from me and Robbie from this morning talking NFL uh, as well in the next segment. Uh, but we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll hit up the text line a little bit, and then we'll start to get into Ian Robbie. We'll keep the show rolling here on the Sports Complex on the Horn 1019, AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com. The Sports Complex with Patrick Davis on the Horn. Change, change, change. Change, change, change.
Back in the sports complex here on a Monday afternoon, a musical theme of the week. The Grammys are this weekend, so everyone that we're playing this week is a Grammy Award winner with at least 10 Grammys. Double-digit Grammys for everyone we're playing this week. I was going to play the bands that are you know nominated this year and try and keep us relevant, and then I realized I'm not a very relevant guy, and I don't keep up with stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's popular today, so it does. I didn't want to play a bunch of music I don't know and know. Thought I'd go and play some classics. I, that just for me. Just for me. Some Aretha Franklin. Uh, she had the most Grammys for a while. She's now been passed. The most Grammys for a female artist for a long time. She's now been passed by Alison Krauss and uh, Beyonce. Beyonce now holding the record, I think, for everyone of most Grammys. So we'll hear her later in the week as well. Uh, but yes, all uh, double-digit Grammy winners all week long on the, the show uh, text line real quick. We'll get to one, and then we'll play this sound from uh, Hook 'Em Up, and then we'll get to more. When we get to the uh, the the second, the next segment. Uh, but man, Chan said Texas basketball. Dylan Mitchell and Tyrese Hunter are a liability with no offense this past weekend. BYU is sagging in on defense. Concern tonight, and Houston guards are built like linebackers. Going to muscle our guards. They'll bump around, and Texas just has to be able to sell it to the refs. But uh, I'm not as worried about that because I think Max Aismith and Tyrese Hunter can get around some of those guys and you want to pass around and you want to throw the ball inside and make them score inside. You, you just need to keep Dylan DeSue out of foul trouble. That was a big problem. Uh, and to Tyrese Hunter, he was not a liability. He was much. He played a better game than Max Aismith did. Just just balled. I mean, just just flat out. He played a better game offensively and defensively than Max Aismith did. Uh, he was four for seven from the field, two for four from three. That's None of that is bad. Uh, we know he wasn't taking a ton of shots, so there were some he passed up on uh, because he doesn't want to take a bad shot. But at two for four, I can't complain. He also had six assists in the game. So Max Aismas, who goes four for 12, two from seven from three, and has two assists, that's a worse game. And if you want to look at the plus minus, I mean, he's again, he's only minus three. That lineup with IT Horton, Max Aismas, Dylan Mitchell, uh, Kendall Weaver, and Caden Shedrick, who just doesn't look like he's mentally in the game right now. Like, he's just not thinking quick enough in the game. And I don't know. He was doing it earlier in the season. It seems like something where it may be just he's in a lot of pain with his back, uh, but he doesn't seem like he's moving the same way. That lineup was really when BYU pushed away and Texas wasn't able to get back in the game. But that was kind of when BYU pushed away was when Dylan DeSue gets in foul trouble and it kind of messed up the rotation they wanted to use. Uh, and they had to give some rest to some guys and with fouls, and it just ended up really hurting him. But Tyrese Hunter was not a liability in that game. He was a better he was a our better point guard than Max Aismas in that game. Uh, I mean, you know, Max Aismas hits big shots, and you know he'll get better. But he can has to be way more consistent on the road uh, to be that guy, especially once you get into tournament time to see what Max Aismas is capable of doing. Uh, but the, he did not look like it last night. He was a, a bigger liability than Tyrese Hunter. Uh, I want to play some sound though. Uh, from Hook Him Up with Ian Robbie. It's a replay we do here on the show. They were talking about the games. We'll get into our coverage of the games at 5 o'clock, but here is uh, a little take from Ian Robbie this morning. Uh, I said this earlier in the show. Um, I'm done picking against Patrick Mahomes. I mean, the guy's just too damn good. <laughs> and we're talking about the greatest start to a career for any uh, pro athlete in American pro sports history. 
And when he's an underdog, and by the way, he's, he's going to be an underdog because I think technically right now he is an underdog. That could end up by the Super Bowl, uh, by the time the Super Bowl gets here and kickoff, it could end up being a pick 'em, or it could end up flipping totally. But I believe right now Kansas City was a one-point underdog to a one-and-a-half-point dog to the San Francisco 49ers. And that would make three weeks in a row where Patrick Mahomes was an underdog. There's, I don't think that's ever happened in his career. I'll give you some numbers. Um, the last time you go look at it <laughs> with Patrick Mahomes, so now totally Patrick Mahomes is 9-3 and three straight up in his career as an underdog after the last win over uh, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens on the road. Uh, that's the best record for any QB in the Super Bowl era with a minimum of 10 starts. Uh, and it is the – you go look at it. Um, I believe that Ravens game was the sixth time that Mahomes opened as a underdog of three or more. This obviously against the 49ers, just going to be a one-point dog. But the the Chiefs were at least, a, I think, to start a th- at least a three-point underdog to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, and he is now six and zero in those games. <laughs> he's six and zero whenever he's a dog of at least three points. And he's nine and three straight up in his career as an underdog. Um, and if you go look at it, Mahomes is eleven games an underdog. Uh, is now twelve games as an underdog. Um, so he he's he's just been fantastic. Like it, it, like I said, picking against Patrick Mahomes is just not wise. And I probably shouldn't do it again. But for him to be an underdog in three straight weeks. I'll go back and look at it, but there's no way we've seen that happen in Patrick Mahomes' career. And honestly, by the time Super Bowl gets here, I'm not sure if they'll be an underdog. So picking against Patrick Mahomes, not smart. But also uh, there's something else about, you know, we talked about this about Brock Purdy uh, playing some of his best football in critical moments. You got to give it up for the Kansas City Chiefs because they've been limited in their weapons so far this year. We talked about them having the weakest wide receiving core that Patrick Mahomes has had since he's been there with Andy Reid. They have found a way almost in every matchup to highlight a, a different player, right? I mean, this past week, it was Travis Kelsey, right? Travis Kelsey, 11 targets, 11 receptions, 116 yards. <laughs> That's how they beat Baltimore. But remember that game that uh, I, Isaiah Pacheco had? And 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 that win over Buffalo, uh, and that win over Miami. Those guys, you go look at Isaiah Pacheco now, two hundred fifty-four rushing yards in the playoffs. Travis Kelsey, two hundred sixty-two receiving yards, and give it up for Rasheed Rice. He has two hundred twenty-three receiving yards in the playoffs. So everything is really concentrated. Like their offensive productivity is really concentrated because they don't have a lot of great weapons. But Andy Reid has found a hell of a way to scheme open. Travis Kelsey to scheme things for Isaiah Pacheco in the running game, who just runs like he's mad at the grass, and Rasheed Rice. And we talked about how Rasheed Rice was trending. Rasheed Rice is clearly like the, if you look at scheme-wise, the number one guy for Andy Reid and for Patrick Mahomes right now. Um, so it's, it's, it's amazing what the Kansas City Chiefs have been able to do, and they did that against the number one defense. And by the way, that Bills defense was a pretty good defense. I mean, that was, that was one of the better defenses in the NFL, and they carved up that defense too. And so Patrick Mahomes right now is just playing on a whole nother level. He's, he's on a different planet. And he got to that point where Tom Brady was at this point too where, yes, Tom Brady had his weapons, but he didn't need many of them. He just needed like one or two of his guys. He needed Gronk or he needed an Edelman. 
You know what I mean? Was he didn't need a lot of guys. He, when he had his best complement of weapons, he didn't even win the Super Bowl, right? You just talked about how Spagnola had a great defensive game plan for the Giants, and when he had Randy Moss and Wes Welker and all those really great weapons in 2007, and they went undefeated throughout the regular season, you know, Tom Brady didn't win the Super Bowl. When Tom Brady was winning Super Bowls, he, you know, his weapons up time, he often uplifted the play of the weapons around him. He made the receivers around him better. And I think Patrick Mahomes might be venturing into that category now where he can just able to uplift the play of other players around him. Guys like Marquez Vadell, Scantling, uh, Rasheed Rice, they may not have tremendous upside. They may not be guys who are drafted really high in the draft, but Patrick Mahomes is just that good that he can make those guys even better. But what that game came down to with the Baltimore Ravens, and I said this last week and I should have put more importance on it, but we mentioned so much stuff we're previewing uh, these matchups, and we're just trying to get in as much of the you know, analysis as we can. I said that Ravens play a lot of zone, zone defense. They play more zone defense and better zone defense than anybody in the league. They, they're more effective playing zone, and it's a matchup zone, pattern match zone, so all these guys are great at passing routes off in coverage. And I said that pattern match zone, they're really good at. It may not matter if the chemistry between Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey is so good and they're able to find the vulnerabilities in that zone, well, that's exactly what they did all game long. And finally, the, uh, the, the Ravens figured it out, and I think they started to match up more man, uh, play some man concepts on Travis Kelsey, and you can zone up the rest of it if you want to. Uh, but that was a little bit too late because early on in the game and when they needed a – for sure conversion. They need a clutch play. I'm watching Patrick Mahomes' nine-second nine second scramble drill <laughs> to get Travis Kelsey a, 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 a target on third down to keep one of their touchdown drives alive early in the game, and they end up scoring that second touchdown. You know, that kind of chemistry, I don't know if there's anything anybody can do about it. I don't know if there's anything the 49ers can do about that kind of chemistry. Hey, Longhorn fans, we remember watching that kind of bromance between a quarterback and a receiver. We watched Cole McCoy and Jordan Shipley. Now imagine that to the nth degree. Imagine that with the greatest tight end of all time and maybe all right, one of the goats, young goats of all time, at quarterback too. Chemistry is highly underrated, and that just showed you. It didn't matter if they were going up against the number one defense in the league. Number one defense in the league can't stop – Kelsey and Mahomes. I don't know if there's anybody that can stop Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. I don't know if that. I don't know if that defense exists. Yeah. Well, and again, I mean, <laughs> everything you just say is spot on. But and the clutch gene, they just they they, it's their time of year, much like it was Tom Brady's time of year. And I think the comparisons are there. And I know it's like early in the year, we talked about. You know, it feels like Brett Veach and the Chiefs are going to try to copy what Belichick and Brady did, which is right. I mean, yeah. we've got this all-time quarterback who's all-time clutch, who makes huge plays when we need him. You know, the, the initial thought would be, well, let's surround him with great, great offensive players. Yep. Um, you know, or you go – because in a salary cap league, you can't do everything, right? You, you can't. So they first rebuilt the offensive line because they got to the Super Bowl and couldn't block anybody because their line all got hurt. Tampa Bay exposed Yeah, and Tampa Bay exposed their, their protection. So they fixed that. And now it's been about the defense. And to your point about re-signing Chris Jones, they have to do that. But this is the Belichick-Brady model, that if, if we play stingy defense, really well coached with Steve Spagnuolo, who's really underrated, and then we have this guy and this other guy, Travis Kelsey, like he had Gronk, we're going to win these games. We're going to win these games because we're going to be the calm team. We're going to be yep. schemed up and ready to go, and we got this guy. And Brady did it for 20 years. 
Uh, and you saw how Belichick, how good he was once that guy left. <laughs> yeah, didn't even matter. He still was good. I think Patrick Mahomes, you know, if Andy Reid decides to retire, he'll still be good. He will. If you keep – that was my suggestion last week, was keep Spagnolo to run the defense, make him the head coach, and then hire a great young offensive mind to work with Mahomes. Or bring Enemy back. Or yeah, hire Eric Enemy. Bring Enemy back. Let him call the plays. Because it's <laughs> – you know, defense still wins championships in my mind. And it's an offensive league, but as we saw yesterday – um, you know, you still have to play high-level defense. And you know who else is making a lot of money? This, 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 this run and the trends of the copycat NFL run? Tight ends. Tight ends, tight ends. yep. J.T. Sanders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, uh, Sam Laporta is as good as it gets. George Kittle, uh, obviously Travis Kelsey. Mark Andrews is a really good player trying to work his way back. And that's the only part of the thing because the Chiefs were great yesterday in those first couple drives. But that game was there to be won. If yep. you tell any Ravens fan, we held them to 17 and none in the second. We win that game. We win that game, and they didn't. And that's credit to the defense of the Chiefs and then just the uh, the shrinkage nature of the Ravens right now uh, because they didn't rise up and take that game when it was there for them. So, I, yeah, I, just, I was just talking about the line because Patrick Mahomes is an underdog, third game, third playoff game in the row he's an underdog, which is just wild. The, line, the, the 49ers started off at a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and now they're just a one-point favorite. Oh, so it's come down. It's come down drastically in just 24 hours. No, oh. actually less than 24 hours. That's overnight. So I think by the time that game kicks off, Kansas City Chiefs may be a favorite. Maybe. Well, it's funny. So it take be, it right now, people. Take well, it. Take it. Well, you, I mean, you know the best, the best, be, the best betters, the sharps, right? Mm. They get on it early because mm-hmm. that's usually when you're going to get your best line. Yep. And gosh, half a point, point. Those are huge swings oh, when man. the game's going to be this close. Um, it just really is, and and stick to get that because you might get you won't get that line again. No. So if you can get it early, that's where you where you want to be. But uh, either way, look again. That's the, this Chiefs dynamic is remarkable. It's very Brady Belichick like, um, and Steve Spagnuolo, man, what a stud, absolute stud. What they do, Rod, you you are a corner. Their corners are so sticky. They are. Yeah. I mean, they are really really good. Uh, and this guy Trent McDuffie, who they took in the first round out of Washington. He gives no space, man. That guy is up on you, and it's. I, I think I first noticed it when they, early in the season when they played Jacksonville. I remember Jacksonville at the Jackson. time was pretty healthy with got Trevor Lawrence, and, yeah. and they got all those real good receivers. And man, no one was open. Nobody was open. I'm like, it was, they're they're really impressive what they do uh, at, at all three levels, and that's that's credit to that coaching staff and to the drafting that they've that's done. A, yeah, credit to Beach, man. Which is why it'll be a great matchup in the Super Bowl, right? I mean, you got Ayuk and Debo, and you've got. You know, it's going to be a fun and fun football game, and it'll probably come down to Mahomes v. Purdy, and we'll see. I, I, I got to go Mahomes. <laughs> I was going to say, well, that's an easy decision. That's what I said. If we're going Mahomes versus Purdy. That's an easy decision, but we'll see. I mean, Spagnola, we just don't give him enough props, and that he's if he can find a way to uh, you know neutralize that multiplicity um, and that multiple attack for San Fran, man, we got to start just putting that dude in you know in the Hall of Fame just as a coordinator because what he's done so far. Oof, awesome. Right? Well, and to pair, and considering going back to his time with the Giants. Yeah, and to pair him with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, and that's that's why they're looking to go back-to-back and go back-to-back in Super Bowls because that, that's that's as good as it gets as far as the coaching. Is he the best – got to talk about Is he the best D.C. in the, in, like, in the league? Are we well, not giving him enough – who's the best D.C. in the league? Who's the best coordinator? Defensive coordinator. Uh, I would, right now, Dan would, Quinn was in the conversation. Mike McDonald's in the conversation. Uh, D'Amico was, but now those guys are head coaches now. So I'm talking about as a coordinator right now, defensive coordinator. Is he the best? 
His him or Dan Quinn. I think Dan Quinn's going to come back. We have, I don't think we've talked about this today. I, I think it's 99% sure that Dan Quinn will be back as DC for the Cowboys. Oh, you think Mike McDonald's going to get the Seattle job? I think it's. I think Dan Quinn would have been hired by now. If, if he I do too. I think they the were coach. waiting. They, they wanted to interview this other guy, too, which I think you're right about. Well, there, there was some thought in Seattle. I read a bunch over the weekend that – you know, John Schneider's in charge of the hire, and he wasn't going to hire until he could sit face-to-face with Everybody. Mike McDougal. He wanted to talk to them. It still may swing back to Dan Quinn when it's all said yeah, and done. Yeah, if a terrible interview. Yeah, if it doesn't go well. And, you know, his defense made great adjustments yesterday again. Yeah, but Spagnuolo might be the best D.C. in the league right Well, now. again. Yeah, Dan Quinn's in the conversation, but would you take Spags or Dan Quinn? I would take Spagnuolo. I think I'll take Spags right now, and Maybe. I love me some Dan Quinn. Spags well, is... what you've seen him do the last couple of years in, in rebuilding this Chiefs defense, but also, again, 2007 – Patriots, highest scoring offense of all time. Tom Brady, 50 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Randy Moss. Moss, Wes Welker. He beat him. He did. He, he beat him. They were going 19-0, and 0, and then he beat him. That, he was the architect of that defensive game plan that stopped Tom Brady. Uh, and so, and he's still doing it. As a head coach, it didn't work for him. But at the same time, as far as scheming up D, I mean, you're a defensive guy, Rod. It's as, oh, yeah. about as good as it gets right there. I we're, like Lou Anarumo, too, from Cincinnati. Cincinnati. He's, he's one good. of my he, – he's just great in the playoffs. But, right, I mean – if it's not Spags, I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't know who I would take ahead of Spags. I'll say that right now. Really good. Yeah. Good stuff there from Hook'em Up with Ian Robbie. You can catch him weekday morning 6 to 11 right here on The Horn. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and hit the text line, the poll of the day. Who is the best mascot in the NBA? Because the Spurs, Coyote, caught a third bat. That is a third bat. And we know it's, look, I not just I'm a Spurs fan and, since I was a kid, I love the Coyote. That, that's not it. Not just because I have a Coyote uh, doll from my childhood that was in my office. It's in my, in my bedroom. It's not just that. We just know he's the best mascot. So if you want to dispute that, feel free. I'm just going to say I just expect a lot of people to text in Spurs Coyote. Uh, it's the poll today, 512-447-3776. If you want to talk about that big Texas basketball game last night, the big game tonight, uh, you can text in about that too, the NBA as well, we've talked about we will get into more NFL. We just heard some NFL talk there from uh, Rod and Aaron. Uh, we'll get into that as well in the 5 o'clock. So if any of that you want to talk about, 512-447-3776. When we come back, we'll start hitting up the text line here on the Sports Complex on the Horn 1019 AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com. The Sports Complex on the Horn. <laughs> Back on the Sports Complex here on a Monday afternoon, playing uh, Musical Theme of the Week, playing artists and bands that have won double-digit Grammys. Vince Gill won a bunch of Grammys. That's some Vince Gill playing Grammys because the Grammys are this weekend. So we'll be playing those artists that all have double-digit Grammy wins all week long here on the Sports Complex. Text line is open. 512-447-3776 is the text line number. If you want to join the conversation with us, we're going to go there right now. Uh, Texture says, Frost Bank Center is the worst arena in the NBA. Alamo Dome never had bats. 
as someone who's spent plenty of time at both, uh, I went to I've been to many games at both. Uh, the, the Frost Bank Center now. The Frost Bank Center is now getting older, and they're going to be talking about getting a new building. That's one of the reasons why getting Wimby was so big for the Spurs in San Antonio because it meant like, okay, well now San Antonio will most likely build them uh, a new building. So there probably will be a new building pretty soon, uh, and I'm sure they'll, they'll try and not have bats in it. But who knows if that's a, a doable thing in San Antonio? Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's much better than the Alamo Dome. And if you go back to the Alamo Dome now too. It's always it's always that part where you're walking through and there's just stuff shut down and it just kind of looks run down all the time and half the toilets don't work. Uh, it used to be. I, I mean, it was cool when it was new. It was cool when it was new, but also, you know, you had those like the NBA Finals in 99. It was cool because then you could fit this insane amount of people in there because they just pushed. They had that big blue curtain that covered over half it and they just kind of wheeled it in a little bit and they sold tickets all the way further back and you just it got really loud. Uh, but yeah, for most games there, it was just too big, uh, you know, to really, I mean, cause man, that was, it was a football, it's a football stadium. They just put up a tarp in there or put up a big curtain in the middle of, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was not necessarily the greatest place to go see a basketball game, but it was, you know, it was, it was, it worked for San Antonio. It seemed like a very San Antonio thing, uh, to go there. Uh, texter, uh, says, I've got your back, buddy. Big fat pull today is Lamar Jackson, the Dak. Prescott of Baltimore is Dak Prescott, the Lamar Jackson of Dallas. <sighs> you know, just just trying to kick, just trying to kick both guys while they're down. Trying to kick both guys while they're down. I, look, I'll get into it more in the five o'clock hour, but I I am not putting this loss. Uh, I get Lamar Jackson choked at the end, and he didn't have his best game. But I don't think the game plan was necessarily the best game plan either. Uh, I don't know if that was Todd Munkin's best. Best work putting together the game plan that he had uh, and expecting, you know, when you're like, okay, well, we're going to make an otherworldly performance of this guy. So do something you haven't done all season and do something and be, be dynamic this way. And uh, it did not work out, but I I get it. Look, I, you know, they're both, they're, they're both up for MVP. (laughs) There's worse scenarios to have uh, than have two guys that are up for MVP. And, and, you know, Brock Purdy's, you know, that's that's a system, and he's in it. He's not bad. I'm not I'm not taking shots at Brock Purdy, but I think if you put Dak Prescott or Lamar Jackson in San Francisco, they'd be just as good. Uh, and Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. You, you know, at this point, I'm done. It was about halfway through that game where you're just like, why do I bet against Patrick Mahomes? Why do I keep saying, oh, no, no, Baltimore is just a much better team? But I'll get into that more in the 5 o'clock hour. But I like your joke. I like your joke. Uh, is, is Lamar Jackson the Dak Prescott of Baltimore? Or is Dak Prescott the Lamar Jackson of Dallas? Uh, I, I'll tell you this. I, I think Lamar Jackson is going to have a second MVP on his, on his hands, though. And I don't know if Dak's ever going to quite get to that level of uh, getting an MVP. Uh, right guy from New Mexico says, well, Bebo is definitely a legendary mascot. And that's true. And that is a live mascot. I was talking more of the... the uh, the uh, 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 I don't know the the not live type. They're still live, but they're they're in costume. Maybe costume type is costume type the word I'm looking for. Uh, that would be Hookem. Hookem is the costume version of Bevo that shows up, which is Hookem's great too. He's just no coyote. Uh, but I also like Gritty from the Philadelphia Flyers. Gritty as a Gritty as a uh, as the look of Gritty. I don't know if I've seen enough stuff of Gritty actually doing great. You know. 
the, the, oh, the above and beyond other than, you know, the kick in the dirt. Like, the, you know, that's where you go with the, the Philadelphia Fanatic and those. He kind of does the same stuff as that. So it's a great because he's just a crazy-looking mascot. Uh, but he's no, he's uh, still no Coyote. Coyote was still the right answer. Coyote's still the right answer. Uh, Texture says, I thought for sure the only way BYU was beating UT was with the three ball. I guess they flipped the script. They did, exactly. And that's one of those things. When you walked in the game and I kept talking to people and everybody's like, well, no, BYU, this is all they do. Like, they're not that, they're not the way, they're not as good as they are because this, they only have one thing that they're good at. Uh, it, it was, they were able to find the, the area and, you know, again, I thought it was a poorly officiated game. And it's just because of the way I like the game called. So it may, you know, I, I think those ticky-tack fouls, they kept getting under the paint just because they're smaller guys, and they go flying in there and then hit the ground afterwards. I'm like, man, those those shouldn't be called. You're, you're, you're really hurting a team when you're getting guys in foul trouble for being next to, for just contesting a shot, and that'll get you on, on the, you know, put you on the bench contesting shots, which then makes you even harder to contest anything because you're like, well, if I get over there, they're calling the foul on me at this point because I'm coming over late because I'm standing on a guy in the three-point line uh, it just became really hard to defend, and and they just never really found the way. And I think at a certain point, you you know, you were so worried, as this texture says, that they were going to hit threes on you that you kind of had to pull one off and go in more of a zone. And they just didn't seem to want to go into that uh, in that game. Uh, and it may be that they just weren't. They didn't feel that the zone was going to work either, and they were going to get shot out of the zone. They didn't want to get shooting. And by the time you got in the second half, it was already too late. And that's when you know the points in the paint kind of slowed down a little bit. Then. But it was too much for BYU uh, for Texas to overcome. That offense never really got back on track. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we will talk some NFL more. The text line 512-447-3776. And uh, we'll get into conference championship week here on the Sports Complex on the Horn 1019 AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com.